4: Friday morning, the 15th of November. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. We'll begin this morning by talking to local Fine Gael TD, Damien English. We'll ask the Minister of State for Housing how people are meant to find the money to pay for record high rents and if we as a nation have lost the ambition of owning our own house as a result. Good morning to you, Minister and thank you indeed uh, for joining us here on the program uh, this morning uh, we can talk about rent and housing in a, a moment but i'd like to ask you first of all about maria bailey the dunleary rathdown td had been selected to stand for finnegal in the next general election but she's been deselected taken off the ticket and dumped by the national executive how do you feel about that minister well,
5: good morning michael thanks for having me on yeah look at this is a story that's going on for a long number of months now and it's uh, so probably changed in the last month at the local membership uh, in that consistency and Finnegale you know, in terms of candidate selection our members are number one in charge of that they will dictate that so they the members probably changed their strategy over the last couple of months and they'd asked the national executive of Finnegale to review the ticket and that has resulted in Maria Bailey being, being stood down and a new candidate being added on look at this happens across the country we've had three or four of these changes already since the local elections and it has happened it's been very difficult for for everybody involved in this. Maria Bailey, look, she knows she was wrong here. She knows she made mistakes, and she's paying the price for that now. But again, the issue probably is around insurance as well, and the wrong messaging went out from Maria, Maria Bailey's actions. She knows that herself as well, and she certainly regrets that. And it's difficult, and it's it's it's, it's not naturally. It's awkward. I remember Gale, I'm a member of Fianna Gale and a colleague Maria have worked very closely with her on the, on the housing committee for a long number of years now. And it's difficult, and I'm disappointed for her, and I'm sorry for her. But the membership of Fine Gael, uh, that's, you know, they are in charge of these things. How
4: do you feel about uh, the decision?
5: It's all about how I feel, Michael. It's, that's, that's the process. We are a democratic party of Fine Gael. The membership have a say in it. If the same can happen in Midwest. It can mm. happen in any part of the country. If but, happens,
4: uh, how, you know. do, how, how do you feel about
5: it? <laughs> what do you want me to say, Michael? Sorry, that's you know, that the rules are... Well, well, I respect the rules of the party... Um, it's, as I said, look, well, You difficult. have your own
4: mind, Minister, don't you? Oh, I yeah. mean, and surely you have feelings on it. Do you think it was the right decision? Do you think it was the wrong no, I did, decision?
5: I did, as I said to you, I'm disappointed for her. I feel sorry yeah, for But do you for think it, it was the right decision?
4: Now. I'm sure you're, you are disappointed for her, but uh, do you it, think it was the right decision?
5: The membership, I mean, Mike, I would draw you back to last May, and I did discuss this with you. said mm. at the time yeah. I felt that she should run and that the, the, the public would decide there. But the membership, in terms of if you're in a party, the membership will decide, first of all, who their candidates mm. are. They've expressed views on this. The national executive have reviewed it, have made a decision, and I respect that. I mightn't, you know, personally, I like Maria, and I thought it would be good for her and good for her to go to the public. They could Mm -hmm. decide on this, but the party uh, decides the candidates. Okay, Uh, uh,
4: you're not on your own. Uh, You're not the only one uh, who disagreed uh, with uh, the membership, and if uh, the membership are are right uh, and uh, those who disagree with them are wrong, the Taoiseach was also wrong, because he told Maria Bailey she'd be able to stand
5: the the, the Taoiseach, he naturally in in the early stages in July had a review into all this and looked at all this because we recognise again that, that what happened here with Marie Bailey Did he mislead wrong, her though? And and it sent a wrong message It's not about misleading at the well, time it,
4: Well it is about misleading The question is did the Taoiseach mislead her because he told her she'd be able to stand that the issue had been dealt with and this is the point that Marie Bailey was making in her statement she's obviously uh, feeling hurt by how uh, she's been misled whether the Taoiseach intended to mislead her she obviously felt misled because she believed that she was going to be on the ticket
5: yeah, just, just to be clear, at the time, Michael, the Taoiseach had a review and made a decision based on that. And he felt at the time it was appropriate. You know, Maria Bailey was removed from a couple of positions in the party. And I think the Taoiseach at the time felt that that would be enough and that everybody would accept that that was enough for punishment for her. Things evolved in positions over the last couple of months and the membership didn't feel that was enough. And they obviously felt Maria Bailey wasn't in a strong position to win a seat for but But Is Leo Varadkar
4: Verad- land- no, not the Fine Gael leader?
5: Hey, Michael, I'll start off this conversation by telling you, the membership in Fine Gael... Yeah, no, like, I know, I, I, know I know, but who,
4: lead, who lead leads Fine Gael? The membership well, yeah. or the leadership?
5: The Fine Gael have rules, and the rules in our party are the membership, be it in my county or any other county, they pick the candidates, they express strong view. This has been billing for a couple of months, and they've been asking national executive to review that. And that decision is now made. And, Michael, that uh, happened... And
6: when, in the was, when,
4: when was that decision made? Uh, Marie Bailey seems to think that Pascal Donoghue was able to tell her that she was off the ticket before the decision was made, or at least before it was announced that it was made.
5: OK, well, I'm not, I'm not privy to all the different meetings that happened here, but the general procedures would be, in our party, the memberships make a decision at selection conventions, and then, they can. in this case, they also brought forward motions over the last couple of months at a number of meetings to our national executive, to carry out a review and mm. to make decisions, and would they have recommendations on that? Okay. Pascal Pascal and, and General Secretary Tom Curran are involved and, in in, in organising all the process of candidate okay. They possibly made a report okay. to the t-shirt and it would have informed Marie Bailey of that. Okay. And, and what, what's your understanding of
4: why the, the the membership wanted rid of her? Uh, was she too much it, of an embarrassment?
5: Michael, I'm not a member out there. I don't get involved out there. Either. You no, don't really do my job in trying to look after my uh, own area of I uh,
4: no. you you must have some ideas too I don't know what you
5: want me to say to you Michael that's the process that uh, it's well done, te-
4: well, uh, well well uh, well I, I if you were to be honest minister you'd say I'm not going to tell you what my understanding is because I'm sure you uh, do have an understanding I, of what I the membership uh, meant
5: I do not get involved in the membership of other counties I have enough to well, do with so the county well, I have to do, well, and well brief the department of housing I don't I'm not in the minds of the members of our well, uh, so, well there was a lot of
4: a national, know. a national embarrassment for Fidigail and at a time where the party is facing into four very difficult by-elections, it's very hard to believe uh, that uh, senior members in the party, such as yourself, have not taken uh, more of an interest in this.
5: And just to be clear, Michael, it's about. We also, also have to focus on the issue here and the message they sent. There is a major issue with insurance in this country. Businesses mm. and all our county salaries are under a, an awful lot of pressure when it comes to insurance. And we have to, it's an area that we're trying to concentrate on in the government. Maria Bailey knows that she, she did not help that. Mm. What her actions, while they're, they were not illegal, but it's a poor judgment and it has caused, diff- caused difficulty for people who need insurance and are paying high okay, prices. And, and, and It's not just about Fine and Canada, okay. it's also about mm-hmm. the issue of insurance. Uh, and,
4: and and the Taoiseach has been led by the membership uh, and the executive has decided to take her off the ticket. Is, is that the process? You said there's a, a process for this. If somebody has taken off the ticket, is it because the membership in the constituency has decided that that's the case? In
5: this case, the local okay. members. Was it the
4: case in Ray Butler. Butler's case?
5: Again, uh, there was no formal move or a change or motion from the members of Midwest. The National Executive.
4: It's never been explained why he was taken off the ticket, but, has it?
5: it a, did, you, did you involve uh, yourself so in that pick, one? I don't know. I don't know if you had Ray Butler on the ticket. And again, I, I, <clears throat> I, I'm, a, I'm a candidate myself, I'm a sitting TV. I yeah. don't pick mm. the candidate. West. No, I did you, did you mean,
4: involve yourself I in that did one? Did you ask why? Did you ask why, why? Why one of your running candidates was taken off the ticket?
5: I, again, Michael, right, just to, to be clear, uh, following the local election, there was a number of reviews throughout the country of being Gael tickets. There was a number of changes. There'll be more changes before the next general election. That's what happens. I'm, it's not. I don't. It's not. My, I, you know. I'm not analysing every county for you. I've gone through
4: all that. There's well, no, no, I've no it's <laughs> no, a, a very broad, general answer, Minister, and uh, wonder- it's a very specific question about one uh, half of a, a county, one constituency, the one that you're uh, in, and indeed will be standing as a, a candidate in in the next general election. Uh, there was another name on that ticket called Ray Butler. That name has been removed. Uh, did you ask why?
5: Ray Butler and, and the party, I'm sure, had their own discussions around this. Um, I wasn't involved in that process, and nor should I be. The membership... Do had you know not, why? Sorry, Michael, the membership had not brought forward views. I, I don't... You don't know No, there was obviously a decision made. Uh, when, when, Naturally, when, when executives look at party tickets, we do want to be in government. We want to win seats. And in Midwest... We believe we we have so, a chance because we've worked very hard. So
4: you don't know why Ray Butler was I'm taking like, off.
5: I'm, I'm telling you this, right?
4: Yeah, well, no, I'm just I'm just I'm just I'm yeah. making sure I heard it because I yeah. unfortunately I, I mean you quite often accuse me of talking over to you over you, and I think I actually was talking over you when you said uh, that uh, you didn't know why uh, he was taking off the ticket. I,
5: I'm trying, sorry, I'm, I'm trying to explain. I'm trying yeah. to guess why. Okay, in our case, Midwest, we will want to win two seats, right? Uh, the national executive. Have, have to make the judgment call on how best to win two seats. Thankfully, they, they, they believe that I'm, in, I'm in, in a position to win a seat. I hope I am, won't clear as a minister. And they want to strengthen that party ticket. So we've got Sarah Riley and Noel French are on the ticket. Yes, Ray Butler was, was, was taken off. So the executive, likewise in Maria Bailey's case, obviously believed at that time that Ray Butler was not in a position to win a seat. No, now, no. I'm sure Ray Butler and them had their meetings. It, it, it,
4: it had nothing to do with the controversies, no?
5: Well, I, it's about who who's best to represent the party. Okay, the
4: okay, yep.
5: And 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 that's okay. I mean, you, but but, but I'm
4: you not, don't I'm know, minister, guess. and you, and you didn't ask, and all you can do is guess. Is that is that I'm in asked, a, a, a sense? In
5: my opinion, they're internal party matters. I don't be at all with me. Yeah, but uh, I but but, but am I,
4: is that just to summarise? You don't know, you didn't ask, and all you can do is guess. To the best I've, of your ability,
5: I've, I've had plenty of conversations. It's not my job to confirm to you or give you. Uh, okay, I've I, I, I my view on it is the national executive. That's their job.
4: That's the fine, fair. Minister. If, you, if you're not answering the question, that's fine. We accept I that. I think
5: I'm answering
4: the question quite fairly. And, and yeah, Well, you've just I explained to us I that you it's, it's, you, you don't feel it's your point position, point. position to answer the question, and that's fair enough. Uh, let's let's talk about uh, the daft.ie report uh, this week. Uh, Minister, how can anybody afford to rent locally, let alone in Dublin, where rents are 2,000, about 1,300 on average locally?
5: Look, the rents are too high, there is no doubt about that and, and, and no one's denying that the report there to prove that we have to act and make changes to try and bring those rents down or bring a supply of housing it's anybody and any expert in housing will tell you it is linked to the supply of housing. When we analyse the figures and analyse what's behind them and again the DAF report are the asking prices, we also gather the actual prices as well and both would show the trends that are still too high and the, and the trends are going up but, but the only bit I would say about it when you analyse the the percentages and the increases of the inflation, thankfully, over the last year and building on the year before that, the, the, the amount that are going up is coming down. So that's a positive step, because it has to come down to stop. And naturally, we want to stop rent inflation, but that can only happen with an increased supply of housing. So it, it, the increases are going down, and they're going down quite a good bit. So the average increase probably this year is at least a little bit under 5%, compared to what would have been 10-11% in the last couple of years. So there's some, some small progress here, but I'm very clear, Michael, it is still absolutely the rents are too high. Now, what can we do about it, and what are do, we doing? Do, do you
4: see that as progress, or do you think it's uh, peaked? Uh,
5: well, just to be clear, I, I, I do think if the trends are going down, it would look as if it's, its peaked. But the key here is we have to intervene with supply of housing. And this year, you know, and we just had figures there confirmed in September, September from the CSO, independent of government, there's just over an additional 23,000 houses Supplied into the country this year. If we can do that again next year and build on that, and the year after, that's how we bring the rents and the cost of housing down. And again, the trend, as you, if you analyse planning permissions that have been applied for and successfully granted, mm-hmm. that's up by about 25 percent. Commencement notices, which means someone is starting on site to build houses, are up by 29 percent year on year. So that leads on to a good supply of housing for next year and the year after. And I believe. Next year, we'll be over that mark of 25,000 houses where we want to go. Also, with social housing, uh, you know, we've just finished a round of of, of review with all the local authorities. We know we'll be over our target this year of delivering over 10,000 new social houses into the system. So all the supply measures are beginning to kick in. Naturally, we want them to kick in even quicker because we do want to bring these rent costs down. We want more affordable homes. But we do need more houses, and I wish it would happen overnight it doesn't happen overnight, but it's building right. And there's sites today open in Narvon, in Trim, in Enfield, in Carlton, Old in Shockland, in mm. Pollard, in Drada. So there's a lot of activity. And if we continue with that activity and keep okay, building on OK, well, but
4: where are people to, to live? To where where are people to live in the meantime?
5: Well, that's exactly it, Michael. We have to build more houses. And we mm. do work with families. And, and through our housing assistance, payment Program, over nearly 50,000 families are, are helped. Rent their properties, or yeah. help we do that as we find them a new social. So we are intervening to help okay. a lot of people here. But I, I accept, Michael, and I think you, you're trying to say this too, and I totally agree with you. People are under pressure trying to pay this rent. There's no one denying that. Um, but the only way we can, I can fix this, or we can fix this as a government, is, is to build more houses and to guarantee.
4: Okay, but that it, we manage the
5: it,
3: land. If you were to the
4: pay the average price, 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 to... price for renting in, in County Meath, which uh, is around thirteen hundred a month, isn't it? Uh, I think it's one thousand three hundred. Yeah, the 000, average average price is
5: probably slightly lower,
4: how, how much should somebody be earning to actually pay that, Minister?
5: So this is the, this is the whole issue, Michael, and we do analyse the percentage of people's income they're paying on rent, and ideally. Mm. World over, you'd like to try to target a round of a thirty thirty-two yeah. percent of your of your income. Families are paying of your
4: of income, your right? net of your net income.
5: Yeah, families okay. are paying yeah. in some cases up to forty. And so there's yeah. no one disputing, Michael. I so, I, I, so, I so, agree so, with you. So, you know,
4: so, so so your rent uh, at thirteen hundred is going to cost you around fifteen thousand six hundred a year. So h- how much should you be earning if you can because, afford
5: Michael, it, Michael? Again, the people out there are earning all sorts of money. The, the average. Yeah, the average probably wage industrial wage for permanent workers is about forty nine thousand. For all workers, including the part time, is in around thirty eight thousand. We are now kind of people are back working. So would you have to be money. earning forty? Sorry, Michael, I'm I'm in agreement with you here. I know it's too. Oh hard. no, I'm not. Ar- but but, I'm, but I'm, I'm, that.
4: I'm not. I'm asking a people question. I'm, j- I'm just don't. wondering. I, I mean, you, you said there people are earning what on average forty nine thousand.
5: No, the average earnings when you when you, when you look at full time workers is about. Forty nine thousand. When you add in right, all the part tax, okay, well for that's far
4: higher than the average so, industrial wage. No, so uh, it, it is okay. It is, yeah. But so, so, so if, uh, you were, if you were, if that you, if so. you were earning forty nine thousand, uh, would you be able to afford to rent? Well,
5: so Michael, these rents are too high, and people are struggling...
4: No, no but would you be standard. able to afford to it's, rent?
5: It's not, well, look, just to be clear, people are paying them, right? But something else gives. It means some other part of the family budget is hit. And the people do try to secure a home, either through a mortgage or through rent or through assistance from the state. So they are doing this at a major struggle. And that's why my job is to try to make sure we build new houses as quick as we possibly can. And I do believe that, that if you see the, the rent. Inflation becoming down. It's because we're yeah. building houses. So but if you were we more, Mike. We if, you, more, were, if
4: you were earning forty nine thousand, you'd probably be taking home around thirty five thousand. Uh, Everyone's
5: tax situation is
4: different, but are uh, we and our, that's, Mike, that's we're in agreement. But that's that's high. that's just over half of what you'd be paying in rent. Yeah, that's
5: what I, what I'm saying is many people are in a situation now of they're so, paying a lot more. So
4: than, it should be a third, and that's just over half. So if you're earning forty nine thousand. You can't afford to rent a Meath. If you're earning forty thousand, you can't afford to rent, anything under forty nine thousand for that matter. People a lot of people listening to us earning twenty, twenty five thousand obviously can't yeah, afford. And so so where are they, are they meant to live, Minister?
5: Yeah. Well this is it, Michael, and that's what I'm saying to you. Like, I mean I'm in total agreement with you here, okay? People are managing to pay the rent at great pressure. They're under serious pressure because it's too high of a proportion of their take home pay. So that's why we're trying to bring it down. Mm. We do intervene with people as well and there are different aids, and even if we're trying to encourage people to buy homes, to have the buy schemes there. it's gone up. New fast-track planning. But it's gone the up. Fashion, planning, the, a, it's gone
4: up. The, rent, the rents have gone up. They went up again. It, they keep the rent, going up.
5: They're going up for the last number of years because yeah. the economic activity is back up and people, there's the a demand for housing again.
4: So nobody so can, can is, afford to rent and the rents keep going up.
5: Michael, uh, again, right? we've lost, just to go into the history of this, I mean, we're in agreement here, too high. We lost, eight years of supply of housing. We are trying to bring the supply of housing back up. I wish there was a quicker fix than this. There isn't. When you're going from zero to get to 30,000, it takes a couple of years. Thankfully, next year will be over 25,000 houses. We know, because we've worked this out now for the next 20 years, we need to be at about 30,000 houses a year, every year, so that this can't happen. You're
4: you're right, Minister, there's no quick fix, Uh, there's no slow fix, there's no fix in between, there's no fix at all. The rents keep going
5: up. I disagree with you there, there is a fix. Well, well,
4: you may be forecasting a fix, you may be predicting a fix, but nothing has been fixed. The rents continue to go up in price.
5: Okay, I think what I'm saying to you is we have to look at the supply of housing and that's what is making... Well, I'm the looking
4: difference. at the cost of rent. Really it went up nearly 4% last month. Yeah, we should, the figures are there. No
5: one's, no one's denying that. On the year-on-year year, average, it's about 4%. But the only way... like, I'm sorry, Michael, if I'm, if, I, if I'm not giving you the answers you want, but the only way we can address this is supply of housing. That's where my focus has to be. That's my, what my work is on a weekly basis and that will make the difference and is making the difference. But that has to happen every year not just for a couple of years. And that didn't happen in the past by past governments. My job and my government's job is to make sure that this can't happen again, to keep this supply of housing coming year on year, social, affordable and private. And, And that is happening. And there's a major difference now, site by site all over the country. But we need to keep doing that. And that will solve this. Once and
4: for all. All right, Minister, I have to leave there. Thank you indeed for joining us here on the program as always. That's Finnegay Ltd in Meath West. Damien English, who's Minister of State with uh, special responsibility for housing
1: michael reed
4: on lmfm now let's uh, talk uh, to anne dempsey who's uh, the communications manager and uh, training facilitator facilitator rather with uh, the senior line uh, which is run by third age good morning to you, anne and uh, thanks morning, for joining michael. us i think we're going to talk about death today uh, and uh, if uh, we'll live long enough uh, to retire if uh, people are, are retiring this year uh, Good luck to them. They'll probably do that when they're 66. Uh, They might do it when they're 65 and go in the dole for a year in that bizarre situation uh, that uh, exists. Uh, But uh, come 2021, you'll need to be 67. uh, And uh, come 2028, you'll need to be 68 years of age. Uh, The government has been asked to hold off increasing the retirement age. uh, But it, it seems as though you're meant to work until you die.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I suppose the first question that occurred to me when I heard of that, I just began to think about it, Michael, was choice. But I think that people ideally should, a lot of people think like we've worked all our lives, we'd like to stop now. The deal was that we could stop. I suppose from a third age perspective, Michael, we're dependent on a lot of volunteers who um, deliver trained volunteers to deliver our programmes and they get a huge amount of it and, you know, they're doing socially useful work. So we would be deprived of that cohort if, mm-hmm. if people had to go on working. I mean, there's an awful lot about this. An awful lot of um, employers have tied employees into leaving at 65. The contract means mm-hmm. that they must mm-hmm. to leave at 65. So if the retirement age isn't st- kicking into 67, that's a, a cold wind for two years, yeah. isn't it?
4: Well, the ideology here seems to be that you should work until you die, uh, that the state shouldn't have to pay out pensions. And uh, if we keep paying them out at a a young age, uh, the Taoiseach was saying in the doll that people who are in their 30s, 40s or 50s now won't ever get a pension because there won't be enough money Mm. to pay it. Uh, but uh, he seems to have this ideological view that you work until you die. I've heard him say hmm. it before. I've talked about it on the programme before, and he repeated it in the doll uh, over the course of uh, the last week. He said that in the nineteen seventies, uh, the retirement age was seventy, uh, and at that stage, the average man lived till sixty eight. Uh, so hmm. he was dead. He was dead before he retired.
0: What about if you are a steeplejack?
4: <laughs> yeah, well, forget about retiring.
0: I mean, you know, there's so many occupations. Mm. If you're if you're if you're sitting at a desk, perhaps, and if you have the your and our brains are alert, thank goodness. And you have you have an employer who's going to invest and upskill you, and not everyone does mm. grand. But if you're out there in the, in the teeth of a gale trying to fit a roof to a house or something, I mean. It, it, meant to be agile up and
4: down ladders Uh, that's not feasible there's a lot of people who have an ambition to spend a a couple of months of uh, the year over in some sunny countries uh, when it's cold here on days like today uh, they could be walking along in the mid-teens somewhere and uh, relaxing and paying little or nothing for uh, some refreshments or go down to the glen eagles uh, when it suited them with uh, their free trade pass Uh, but if uh, you're dead before you retire you can forget about it
0: Absolutely. I mean, about, I believe, Michael, 63% of us have an occupational pension and a, a very small number of people have taken a kind of personal, uh, can afford to, to have make personal financial arrangements. But an awful lot of people, in the scheme of things, are dependent on the state pension. And, uh, you know, there isn't provision for them in terms of their working life to save adequately towards their own provision. So they feel, you know, we've, we've done our work, we've paid our dues, we've paid our taxes. And it seems to be a, a, a legitimate. Um, Entitlement, expectation Towards the end of their working lives That they have some time And I, I think society would be All the poorer if we didn't have Retired people, never mind spawning around In mm-hmm. Spain if that's their wish, good luck to them mm-hmm. But people here at home Actively, you know, parents Grandparents, volunteers Citizens, you know, the older Cohort who are retired Add hugely to life in Ireland in so many ways
4: Okay, well you mentioned your volunteers On the senior helpline, they're all ret- yeah. people and they volunteer yeah. Uh, yeah. and uh, that Please. line is about to open in the next 15 minutes or so, it's 1-800-80-45-91 Oh people do Michael, you so somebody.
0: good, thank okay. you so much Thank We're here you very it's much to hear from you. And
4: you Thanks, too, Anne Dempsey, Communications Manager and Training Facilitator with uh, The Senior Line
1: Michael Reed
4: on LMFM. Now, yesterday, the HSE announced its winter plan to stop overcrowding in hospitals as we go into uh, the winter season. I spoke earlier with Sinn Féin's spokesperson on health, Louise O'Reilly, and I asked her, how was it that on a, a day the government announced funding an additional amount of €26 million Euro in funding for the HSE that there was so much criticism of the service?
7: Well,
8: I think it's because people are now looking into the detail and they also have the experience of previous winter plans that hadn't that hadn't worked. So we didn't guess the number of beds that we were promised last year. The minister assured us the beds would be opened. Those beds weren't opened and I think we saw a crisis that built up over the, the winter period. And let's not forget like winter in Ireland, the period we're referring we to, it goes to the end of March. And I think people saw The figures on trolleys go Mm. up, so the figures on the waiting lists extend, um, the numbers of frail elderly and over 75s increasing in our accidents Mm. and emergencies. So I don't think it's that that people want to criticise the government and the HSE. I think it's that they they look back on the previous experience and they see now that very little effort has been made. If I could just give one example. I mean, when he was asked yesterday, the HSE... um, uh, spokesman, Liam Woods, um, advised that there were no extra beds and no extra staff as part of this 26 um, million euro plan. So it's very hard to be convinced that they're going to be able to to get ahead of this mm. if they don't have the very very necessary Yeah, strategy. is that a,
4: a negative interpretation? Uh, uh, to begin with, it's ten million more uh, than was uh, the case last year. Sixteen million last year, twenty six million this year. So there's a, a significant increase in the spend, isn't there?
8: Absolutely, and uh, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not for a moment knocking the spend. I think it's it's, it's good. You know, but if we look at how they do this in, uh, in other jurisdictions where they put together a comprehensive winter plan in France and Scotland and England, it's announced in August. They start the recruitment of additional staff that are required in August. So they bring in temporary staff, they may bring in agency staff in some instances, and they make sure that the staff are ready to go because they acknowledge the increase in demand. What this has done really, uh, it puts money into, uh, I mean, the 6.8 million euros, for dedicated winter action teams. I mean, you'd have to ask yourself, Michael, what are those people doing? Um, why are they not dedicated to reducing the numbers when there's over 600 people on trolleys? We clearly see there's going to be a need for additional mm. beds and there's no additional beds. Um, I mean, I, I absolutely welcome the focus uh, on the winter plan, but it's something that should be done in consultation with staff, in consultation with their representatives, and it should be done in uh, in July and August because that's how you plan for winter. This is an announcement um, that's made in um, you know mid mid November when winter has effectively already started. And you know I I don't knock the the health service um, I don't knock the people in it, but I sometimes scratch my head and I wonder that the people who are at the very top and the minister for health. I wonder what it is, uh, you know, that, that they think is going to be achieved by all of these announcements when mm. really it's the nurses and the doctors, the porters and the frontline staff who are working in our accidents and emergency all through the winter who are going to have to deal with, the, with their repeated policy failures.
4: Yeah, but I mean, when you talk about 600 people on trolleys, uh, that's easily offset, isn't it? If you freed up uh, the amount of beds that are in hospitals uh, that are occupied by people who shouldn't be in hospital any longer, they've been discharged some 674 people in that situation. And perhaps this plan will help to address it because half of the money that has been allocated, 13 million, uh, will go to the fair deal scheme.
8: Yes, and, and that's very much welcome. And if people can vacate beds, if they can get themselves into, into a nursing home, if that is the appropriate place for them, then that's absolutely to be welcomed. And I hope that that 13 million euros goes some way towards alleviating the huge mm. backlog that there is at the moment. Because remember, it takes a long time to process those fair deal applications.
4: But that goes back um, to the interpretation of what was said about new beds or extra beds. Uh, there won't be new beds, but there will be extra beds if those beds that are currently Currently occupied by people who shouldn't be in hospital are freed up, won't they?
8: Absolutely, and and that is the hope. The difficulty is, you know, the time to start doing this because of the length of time it takes for these applications to be processed. It, it's a, it's it's just a little bit late. You know, we're already in winter when the winter plan plan is published. That's that's my difficulty. It should be published a lot earlier. I sincerely hope. That this, uh, that this money, particularly the money in the Fair Deal scheme, will mean that people can transition quicker um, out of hospital and will mean they can be in appropriately in a nursing home if that's where they need to be. But let's not forget, you know, that there are uh, over 6,500 people waiting on home health hours some of those people will end up in hospital simply because they don't have the home help hours uh, that are needed. Some of them will be stuck in hospital because they can't get out because they need home help hours. And you know, remember we've discussed this mm. before, Michael. 160 euros a week is the average cost of home care. Six grand a week is the average cost of a hospital bed. So mm-hmm. you know, it, 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 sometimes the HSE can be uh, penny wise and pound foolish. Okay. And, and know, what will
4: they get for their pennies uh, under this plan? Uh, an additional two million on home care.
8: And um, you know, hopefully that will provide uh, that will provide some additional home supports for people, and it will mean as well that people can either remain in their home or that they get the supports that they need to maybe be able to leave hospital, and that's absolutely got to be welcomed. But really, the the thing that jumped out for me is the the same thing that jumped out for the the general secretary of the Irish Nurses and Midwives Organisation, which is no extra beds and no extra staff. Mm. And I think without staff, we're going to keep coming back coming back to this, uh, to, to, to this, to these figures, these high trolley weights, over and over again, because at the end of the day, it's staff that are needed uh, to, to keep the beds open and staff that are needed to ensure that we don't have those excessively high trolley numbers.
4: OK, the government might claim that that is unfair to some degree because uh, they are hiring. Uh, Simon Coveney uh, told the Dáil yesterday that they are hiring. We'll hear just a, a little bit of uh, what uh, the Tawnisha had to say.
3: Every week we have this debate around a moratorium on recruitment in the HSC. People are being employed in the HSC, but it has to be uh, employment that has funding. Uh, And you would be the first deputy to criticise this Government if we commit to spending money that we have not budgeted for. Each year, we have huge overspending in health uh, for many years now. And and the Government Mm -hmm. has been criticised for that. What we are doing is employing extra people But in a way that is consistent with the extra resources that have been made available, we can't go beyond that. Uh, And so, people in this house keep calling for more and more and more money to be spent that hasn't been budgeted for. Thank you, Tom. uh, At the same time as as criticising the government for potentially overspending, you can't have both.
8: Well, I mean, the government is overspending on agency and locum staff. We know that. We know that directly employed staff. Um, are much, much more cost effective. They're, they're, they're much, much cheaper, actually. I don't like using that, that word about workers, but it is much cheaper, much better value to spend the money on directly employed staff. But we know that all the while the, the locum and the agency bill is going up. Um, we had at the Joint Directors Committee the, uh, the Irish Nurses and Midwives Organisation in on Wednesday and they were advising us, it's uh, effectively a recruitment pause at the moment. Uh, if we look, Year on year, uh, this time last year there were 400 more nurses in the system than there is today. So you know you've got, you've got to look at mm. the at the real figures and the real facts. The government have repeatedly said there is no recruitment pause, but nurses are telling us and doctors are telling us that. They still can't hire people. Paul Reid, the chief executive of the HSE, is saying, yes, you can hire, but only if you have the money. Now, clearly, hospitals don't have the money because they're not hiring at the moment. And then all the while, we see emergency vacancies on the roster being filled by agency and locum staff, which is, you know, extremely expensive they should be in the colleges now they should be talking to students we should be saying to those students we want you to come and work in our health service we will uh, give you a permanent contract we will provide you with secure employment but they're not and as a result uh, nursing students and uh, student doctors are leaving and they're going abroad. And unfortunately, until they start addressing the, the really serious issues around understaffing, these people aren't coming home. And so the gaps are going to be filled with agency, with low staff, and that's really expensive. So I absolutely welcome... Yeah any measure from this government that is going to improve things uh, for patients and indeed for staff. But I am sceptical on the basis of my experience of what has happened previously and my knowledge of the fact that there is effectively a recruitment pause within
4: the HSE at the moment. OK, uh, and maybe we should recognise some of the, the progress, because there has been some progress. Uh, perhaps people in Limerick will have missed it uh, where we have record numbers of people waiting on trolleys. Uh, I think uh, it's uh, not unheard of uh, to hear of 80 people waiting to be admitted to a hospital bed, uh, but uh, there is no bed for them, so they spend their time in the hospital on a trolley. It's a, a different situation oh, yes, yes. In, in Drogheda. Uh, I think uh, the hospital in Drogheda, or Lady of Lawrence, is probably performing better now than it has at any time over the course of uh, the last 15 years and that's quite possibly because uh, it has opened up new beds and more beds are to come online. Is it a policy of the government uh, do you think uh, to address this on a county by county, hospital by hospital basis?
8: I'm not sure. Um, I, I wish I knew. I wish they had a plan Michael. I wish they could look at it and say yes and they, they fixed it in one area and they're going to move on to the next Um, I don't think they know, uh, to be be frank. We certainly haven't seen any plan like that. I know uh, they're restructuring now, the HSE. Um, You'll know as well as I do how many restructuring uh, exercises there have been. But really, you know, opening additional beds and staffing those beds is the only way. So you see 600 people on trolleys. You know that that effectively means that there are 600 people who need to be in a hospital bed. That bed needs to be staffed. They need nurses, doctors, porters. Um, allied health professionals to be able to staff those beds so i mean i am hopeful the additional beds in, in uh, our lady lords and the additional beds in drawdown made a real difference um additional beds in limerick uh, even reopening closed beds in limerick would make a huge difference reopening closed beds in the dublin hospitals would also make a huge difference but again they need the staff to be able to do that
4: okay we'll leave there and thank you very much indeed for joining us here on the program this morning That's Sinn Féin's spokesperson on health, Louise O'Reilly, speaking to me a little bit earlier on. Michael
1: Michael Reid on on LMFM.
4: Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns joins us with some of the calls and text messages that have been coming to us this morning. Good morning to you, Marie.
2: Good morning, Michael. And to everybody listening in already, a good few comments in, in relation to your interview at the top of the show with Junior Housing Minister Damien English regarding rents, Michael. Uh, Matthew Andrada says, what about all the homeless people sleeping out in tents in frosty weather and rainy weather? Kids eating off cardboard on the streets. This is what we need to be talking about, says Matthew. Mm. Declan couldn't care less about Maria Bailey. Michael, I'm more worried about trying to pay my rent. Maureen phoned in. My son got his first job in Dublin in the last couple of months. He works on sociable hours. So commuting is not an option. He doesn't have a car. Mm -hmm. So he's been forced to move there for the job. Fantastic. He's got the job, Michael. But he's now paying €900 a month Mm. for a room in a house which he is sharing with four other
4: people. Okay, It's
2: more than what we are paying for our mortgage. It's okay. madness. Were,
4: were people in touch uh, about uh, the minister's comments on what average workers are earning? Uh, he was saying full-time workers were earning about €49,000 a year, which is far higher than the average industrial wage. Uh, but the point I was putting to the minister then in response to that is that based on the average cost of renting in County Meath. if you're supposed to only spend one third of your income mm. or no more than a third of your income uh, on uh, your accommodation, on your rent or your mortgage or whatever the case is, uh, that you wouldn't be able to afford renting at €49,000 a year.
2: Well, Tommy texted in to say that he's not really sure what Planister the Minister is on because most people that Tommy knows earns around the 30000 mark. He says he doesn't know a lot of people that are even earning that amount of money.
4: What okay, was well, his comment. Well, <laughs> I, I think at uh, about 1300 a month, which is uh, what rents are on average now in County Meath, it's 15600 over the course of a year. And of course, that's uh, net money. Our after mm. tax, uh, so you'd want to be earning in the region of 23000 in order to get that 16000 in order to pay your rent. Uh, so if you're on 30000 uh, that's well above the one-third, uh, which is uh, supposed to be uh, as much uh, as you should pay on your accommodation. Well,
2: Sam- Sandra phoned in to say that she had been renting, has now moved back in with her parents. Luckily, her parents has allowed her to move back in because she's trying to to get the money together for a house. Could never do it if she continued paying the rent that she had to pay. Siobhan says, Minister, how will we ever be able to afford to buy a house when we are paying such high rents? We will never be able to save for a deposit i 'm sick of it i 'm sick of hearing the Minister say to you again and again that he agrees with you if you agree with it then do something about it they okay. go on. who yeah, wasn 't right. too happy okay. Michael okay. Which okay.
4: well, hold that thought for a moment. Uh, this is uh, the 14th year in a, a row uh, where I've uh, welcomed Michael O'Neill into the studio and uh, said uh, that uh, this Sunday will be World Remembrance uh, Day for road traffic victims. Good morning to you, Michael. This morning, Sunday Michael. will be World Remembrance Day for road traffic victims. Uh, and. Uh, it's a a day that has never eluded you, indeed, uh, one uh, that you uh, put into the National Psyche. Uh, we've spoken every year over the course of uh, the last 14 years, and uh, of course, uh, this uh, follows on uh, from uh, the very tragic loss of your daughter 18 years ago.
9: Yes, 18 years ago, next Tuesday, mm. herself and Dominic, Dominic Wogan, her boyfriend, turning into the house, I done a little piece with Jerry Kelly a few months ago, he was doing the road safety thing and I walked down from my house to the spot mm. 213 steps from the house it was just I i couldn't, I, I didn't believe I knew it was short, mm. a short mm. distance but like 213 steps from the house yeah. they they never made it up that 214 steps.
4: Two young people who had their whole lives in front of them, indeed uh, the next phase of their lives uh, were about to begin they were uh, planning to go to Australia. They were they were mm. planning to
9: go to Australia that, that particular day mm. the accident happened around 20 to 1 and we had arranged to leave the house at half past 1 to go to the airport mm. But they never made us. On last Tuesday, we had the launch of the World Day Remembrance for Road Traffic Victims up in Smock Alley in in Dublin, uh, courtesy of the RSA. Uh, Liam Lawton was there doing it a few turns, and uh, he uh, he himself lost an uncle 20 years ago on the mm. roads. And he was telling me, but some of the stories you hear up there on that day from different families, it's.
4: Heartbreaking. Yeah, mm. doesn't get easier, does it?
9: You accept. You learn to accept mm. it. Mm. I wouldn't say it gets easier, but you learn to accept it. Mm. And it
4: normalises, I suppose. It, it's part it, it, of your life now that you live with this tragedy. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Exactly.
9: Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm. But it's it's always there at the front of the mind, not the back of the mind. Really, it's yeah. always mm. there. Mm little thing might happen you might see somebody you might hear a tune or Mm. something like that and Mm. they bring it 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 comes and
4: how quickly it happens uh, how lives change uh, because uh, most of the accidents on on the roads are not fatalities they're life-changing episodes uh, where people end up uh, with brain damage or physical impairments or whatever the case may be and uh, there are then the fatalities and the life-ending incidents.
9: Yes, so it, it definitely. Be, it, like it's it's World Day for the Road to have traffic victims. It's not for all that was killed on the road. It's for everybody that was involved in accidents on the road, so that mm. have been injured mentally or physically, people left in wheelchairs, people left not able to look after themselves. Mm. And... Also on on Sunday, it's it's a day to thank the emergency services for the work they do. They are the cold face of the road road collisions, and and it it, it gives us. A, 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 an opportunity to thank them for mm. being there.
4: And you've uh, become somebody who has become very interested in road safety and advocate, I suppose, for all of the campaigns and uh, the measures that are being put in place. And I imagine that you'd support anything that leads uh, to better outcomes and better safety uh, on our roads. Uh, I'm not sure about uh, Danny Healy raised timing yesterday in uh, the doll coming into (laughs) World (laughs) Remembrance Day. uh, But uh, he believes that people should be able to drink and drive. He thinks uh, that you should get a permit uh, to be able to drive uh, with two pints or a couple of pints or three pints or whatever it is uh, on country roads uh, because uh, it's destroying rural Ireland. Uh, He was told uh, by the Thalnes that uh, it's... The abolition of drink driving that has led to fewer people dying on the roads. Who's right and wrong in that? Or I mean, that's probably a silly question as far as you're concerned.
9: Well, I I, I just seen it this morning about about, about Mr. Healy, and I was looking at and I said, "What planet is he living on?" But a, a lot a lot of cases, Michael, I find, I li- listen to them, reading about them, listening on the news about them, the the, the not enforcing the laws or not being able to enforce the laws The guarantee do their best yeah. but they go in front of a judge and God knows what's going to happen you know it's just nobody knows but uh, uh, on Sunday now we, are, we will have uh, Maya Murk from the RSA is it will be with us on mm. Sunday. This
4: at, is the mass on Sunday at the Augustinian Church. And the Church, Augustinian
9: yeah, at yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, the, yeah.
4: the annual mass at a quarter past one. The Augustinian Church on Shaftesbury right. Street.
9: Yeah. And uh, mm-hmm. we, we have we've all members of the emergency service. Hopefully, the councils will turn up. Mm. I think it was a bit of a mix up last year, but oh, okay. It, mm. Uh, mm. Shonham did. Now I have to say, okay. Shonham did. Mm. And uh, it's. I'm I'm expecting a large crowd.
4: Mm. Okay, well. I imagine anybody uh, listening to us uh, this morning will make uh, those who are interested uh, or uh, the councillors for that matter uh, aware that it's a quarter past one this Sunday, the Augustinian Church uh, on Shop Street in Drogheda for the annual Remembrance Mass uh, for the victims uh, of road traffic accidents. That's right. Yes. Okay, thank you indeed, uh, Michael. it's always a pleasure to see you and uh, I, I know uh, that what you do is very important, not just in terms of promoting road safety, but uh, you've brought this day together and it brings people together and uh, it brings about a, a sense uh, that you're not alone and that there is empathy and understanding for the situation you're in and that's why people will gather on Sunday as well, I'm sure.
9: That's right. It, it's, yeah. it's. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I I say this every year, I discovered mm. it in 2006 mm. and it has me going since then. And thankfully, it has grown. If you go on the RSA website, you'll be able to see a list of other places it is. It has grown from strength to strength. And it gives, it it makes people aware, Mm. we're not the only ones.
4: Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember fortunate. very well in 2006 yourself and Father Iggy O'Donovan starting this in Drogheda in the Augustinian Church uh, and uh, you speaking to us then yes. uh, and every year since uh, <laughs> yes. so yes. for the 14th year in a row thank you for coming yeah. into to us this morning Thank you, thank you Michael, thank thank you. Michael you? For you? And let's go back uh, to the phones and some more of uh, the calls that have been coming to us What else have you got there Marie?
2: Just going back to um, that discussion with the Junior Housing Minister Jamie an English a texter says that the government needs to be held to account for what this listener describes as its failure in dealing with the housing crisis. Fine Gael have been in power long enough, Michael. They can't blame Finfall Feen, Feen, any longer. Uh, they need to build affordable houses now, affordable for normal people. Every time I hear that new houses are planned, the numbers are paltry. This is actively driving emigration. What's the point of living here if you are a paycheck away from the streets?
4: Mm. Okay, or if your paycheck doesn't cover the rent.
2: Can I just get to one on the pension age? Michael Mm. Martin was in touch and says, what's to stop them increasing the pension age to 70 over Mm. the coming years? Michael, that's the one you're dreading. Mm. It's just it should be kept at 66. But I do think people should have a choice as to whether or not they Mm. want to retire. At 66, I feel that people have worked long enough and they should be entitled to their mm. pension at that stage in their lives yeah, well,
4: at, In 2028 20, you'll have to be 68 before you retire but the time I retire, because I'm so young, I'll be 100 <laughs> keep saying it, alright uh, we leave it there for the moment, uh, thanks for that Marie. thanks to everybody who has been in touch as always uh, we'd love to hear from you if you'd like to add to what's been said, our telephone number is 1857
1: Michael Michael on on LMFM. FM.
4: Now as you know, Operation Stratus is uh, the Garda operation well you might know Operation Stratus is the Guard operation is a name they give uh, to all of these extra guard uh, coming into the Drod area to clamp down on the gangland feud, uh, to deal with the drugs, the gangs, and indeed the guns. Now there was a man in court in Drod District Court yesterday with possession of guns and ammunition. Marco Driscoll was there for LMFM. He's come into us uh, this morning. Good morning to you, Mark. Good morning, Michael. Uh, what can you tell us uh, about what happened in court yesterday?
10: Well, what was expected to be a brief court appearance yesterday took a little longer than usual. 38-year-old Andrew O'Brien from Rathmullen Park in Drogheda appeared before Drogheda District Court. Now, Mr. O'Brien, who the court heard has worked as a fireman for the last seven years mm. and has volunteered with the Irish Coast Guard for the last 20, is accused of being in the possession of three semi automatic pistols and 48 rounds of ammunition at the Irish Coast Guard station, Horse Lane, Drogheda. Okay,
4: there are significant points uh, and unusual. I think uh, his uh, defence team were pointing out uh, that he would not be uh, the typical type of person who would be in front of the courts and were highlighting his volunteering and indeed uh, his employment.
10: Yes, well, that's what added a delay to proceedings, is because Gardy contested a bail application for the defendant, given the seriousness of the charge, they said, and also the strength of evidence that they have against the accused, including CCTV footage. However, the solicitor for the defendant, Patrick Goodwin, told Judge Aaron McKiernan that his client had never been in court before mm. and was a most unusual person to be before the court, given his occupation and previous volunteering. So then Judge McKiernan remanded the accused on bail on a total security of €4,000. And this is what caused the delay to proceedings because Mr. Goodwin had to check with his client to see if he could come up with his own bond of €1,000 and also 3000 more from an independent surety.
4: OK. Uh, and this was uh, really
10: just uh,
4: the charges being preferred on uh, Mr. O- O'Brien. It wasn't a, a trial as such, uh, so there isn't a verdict and there wasn't any question of the guns being displayed or anything like that.
10: No, no, there was nothing like that. As I said, it, these are usually tend to be a brief hearing. And finally, legal aid was then granted to Andrew O'Brien and the judge remanded him on bail to draw a district court on the 17th of January next. So that's possibly when we'll get some more information and a trial de- date, excuse me, may possibly be set then as well.
4: OK, and he's a, a local man. He's under curfew in Rathmullen Park, I take it.
10: Yeah, there were strict bail conditions made by Judge McKiernan, including that he must sign on daily at Drogheda Garda Station observe a curfew surrender his passport and not apply for a new one he had to stay at a specific address that he has given to Gardi, and also be contactable 24 hours a day to a member of on Garda Síochána.
4: OK and uh, how did Andrew O'Brien seem to you leaving uh, the court uh, would you say uh, he, he was uh, relieved uh, being able to walk out the door
10: Well, he appeared in court wearing jeans and a zip-up Liverpool FC jumper. He seemed pretty calm throughout. He had some family members or friends in the gallery, in the courtroom, um, possibly one of whom did sign the surety for him. So it it all seemed pretty normalised and he was Hmm. pretty calm walking out of the courtroom at the end of the, I suppose, two hours of being there. Okay,
4: interesting stuff uh, in that uh, he was wearing a football jersey, uh, the fellow in court the other day wearing a woolly jumper I'm not sure what happened uh, to the legal advice to wear a suit uh, but uh, thanks uh, for that Mark and uh, thanks uh, as I say for joining us here we're joined now by uh, local TDs, Finnegales, Fergus O'Dowd and uh, Sinn Féin TD uh, Imelda Munster, good morning to both of you and thanks uh, for joining us. Let's uh, take a look at what we do know about this uh, at this stage. Andrew O'Brien is charged with possessing The guns and the bullets that we heard about. But this morning, there is a question that we are not able to answer. Mr. O'Brien, as Mark told us there a moment ago, is a fireman. Earlier this week, the fire station in Drogheda was searched by Gardee. We believe that that raid by Gardee was in relation to the search for for these weapons that we're talking about now. We asked the guardie if uh, the fire station in Drogheda was searched for guns. Curiously, and very curiously it has to be said, the guardie asked us when the search happened. Uh, we said it happened at 11 o'clock on Monday night, and the guardie said... We have no comment to make on that for operational reasons. We asked the County Council if they had any comment to make on the search of Drohada fire station, which we believe was in relation to the search for weapons. that County Council has no comment to make on this either. Ferguson, O'Dowd, what do you make of this?
11: Well, I think, first of all, I want to congratulate the Gardaí for all of the actions they're carrying out. Obviously, everybody that's before the courts until there is a trial, there. They are innocent, of proving guilty. So I think that's the first point. The second point is that I don't see why. If the guard did raise, whether it was a church, a shop, uh, my house, your house, a guard station, whatever they raid, uh, I don't see there's any reason why that shouldn't be in the
4: well, we Well, we, we, we know, we, we are uh, yeah. pretty certain that the Garda raided the fire station sure. at 11 o'clock on Monday well, night. I, I now, we that, asked uh, the Garda, was it in relation to the search for guns or would they care to tell us if it was in relation to something other than the search for guns uh, they asked us when the search took place we said 11 o'clock on Monday and then they said we've nothing to say to you it seems as if they were saying well what do you know?
11: Well maybe, maybe that is the case but I suppose uh, I think I, I want to say as I said to you earlier I don't see any reason why it, wherever they raid once they've done due process uh, that that would become public knowledge because I presume Uh, We often hear of Gardy raising business premises, garages, Mm. you know, shops, uh, you know, they can be raiding anywhere. Uh, And the question is, obviously, the, the important thing is that they get the evidence they're looking for and that they apprehend and charge and then obviously the person is ultimately convicted. But I, 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 I see that it's very important that they would confirm that to you. But I think it's also equally more important, in one sense, that they are being very successful. They have a lot of people before the courts. They're all entitled mm. to due process. I mean, it's... Okay, it's, but... It, it, it is... It is uh, you know, the Guardi are, are doing a fantastic okay, job. And and,
4: and and they're policing the situation. What about the situation? If the situation is such that guns were or may have been stashed in the fire station
11: whatever well, wherever they've been stashed, they're a danger. They're a danger, obviously, it's a criminal. Like, I don't, want, I can't talk about the existing case. I don't want to make that clear because I don't know anything about it. But wherever they would be in a guard, if wherever they would be stashed, obviously, clearly, they're a danger to life and the person, whoever would be using them or have them. You know, it's a very serious charge. Uh, and obviously, clearly, you know, it's, 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 it's a very dangerous thing to do. And the Guardi are apprehending people in relation to to all of these issues and all I can say is that I fully and I know we all support them uh, they risk their lives daily on our behalf
3: mm.
11: uh, they you know they 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 are very brave they're very professional yeah they're doing a fantastic job, and I think that this issue about the location it should be should be clarified to the satisfaction of of you, the radio maker, because it's not. Mm. You know, it's it's it happened. It happened in the past. It's not a germane. Yeah. now I would. Uh, say and, uh, and,
4: and we believe they are legitimate questions. Course, uh, they uh,
11: are legitimate questions, of course, Sir Michael. i fully support
4: that. Uh, uh, Imelda de Monster. Uh, we know that the guard, uh, that the fire station was raided. Uh, we believe that it was in relation to the search for guns. We don't know that because it hasn't been clarified to us. But just, just are you say, concerned uh, that just, the Gardaí were investigating if weapons were being stashed in the fire station and what danger that might have put frontline uh, uh, defenders in?
7: Yes, well firstly just to say to you Mike, I can, can can confirm that you are right. Your information is correct because I got confirmation just just before I came, came on air that there was a search conducted of the Fire Brigade premises.
4: In, for guns?
7: Well, it was a follow-on search, I presume, mm. from um, obviously if the person that was before the court had connections with uh, both the Coast Guard and after the findings in the Coast Guard station, um, if, I would imagine it was a continuation of the search um the premises that he worked, perhaps, you know, a locker or, or you know, something like that. But I've got confirmation that it was actually the search was conducted.
4: OK, if these gangs are using uh, emergency services or, um, to act as a front for them. I mean, this is the kind of territory we're getting into here. I mean, if they're stashing guns in the fire station or if there's suspicion that they might stash guns in the fire station uh, they could do it in a hospital in the GP's office, in the Coast Guards, God knows where.
7: Yeah, it's very, very alarming, but I think it's important to point out that um, it was the individual as opposed to the, you know, the, the services themselves that, that stashed guns and ammunition, but it's very, very alarming, and I suppose... Um, I don't know. Well, we, we,
4: we, we don't know if the guns were ever in the fire station. That, that we have no. to be very clear about here. We're kind of fumbling around in the dark to some degree because mm. we haven't had confirmation. But we do know that the fire station was searched and we believe that it was in relation for guns. Yeah. Uh, and if that was the case, uh, that calls into all sorts of questions, as I say, about whether it could be in hospitals or anywhere else. Uh, and what kind of security is there? Uh, to stop these kind of weapons being brought into these places, or should there be some sort of security, or is it just uh, a one off thing that you would never expect to happen again?
7: Well, you'd imagine it would be a one off thing because it was the individual, you know, that was involved in, in his place, or certainly his place of work being searched because of that particular individual and
4: uh, who, who was being charged, charged uh, yeah, uh, and, and, the,
7: and the Coast on foot mm-hmm. of the finding in the Coast Guard station, you know, so um, it's the individual that that brought it into the premises, you know. No. So I'd imagine, and you'd hope that it was a, a once-off, you know, that uh, something because it's extremely alarming. But you could also imagine um, that the reason, you know, they thought it was the last place they'd find them, that they'd never, ever think of searching either, you oh. know, a Coast Guard station or
4: you know, a place of what That's a bit clever, isn't it? I mean, it's worrying to think well, that, that they'd be yeah, that clever, yeah, like, yeah, too. That's
7: it. Yeah. That's it. You know,
4: because uh, then that means uh, that the last place you think of it is uh, the place that those fellas might put it, uh, which puts very vulnerable, innocent people at risk.
7: That's that's exactly it, and that's, that's um, the fear that's there. But also, um, you know, you certainly wouldn't be inclined to suspect someone, you know, from the emergency services to be involved either. You know, it's mm. I'm not saying, I mean, there can be a bad egg anywhere, but, um, you know, it, when you look, I was looking up there, you have to have guard of vetting to become a fire firefighter, you know, so that person wouldn't have had a record, so there'd be no, mm. kind of, nothing to lead them to that, you know, so they've been very, very clear, caref- or clever, as in who they're bringing in to either oh. stash, and... Um, Things, whether it's drugs or guns and ammunition, or you know, they're probably a little bit cleverer than we've given them credit for. You know,
4: mm. uh, do you think uh, that the security uh, of uh, all uh, of uh, these emergency services uh, needs uh, to be looked at in uh, the draw area? Are we entering into a, a realm, let's say, like a, a in America, where school kids have to pass through metal detectors in order to uh, enter the premises, Fergus? No doubt.
11: I think, first of all, um, and I want to repeat, I can't comment on any particular individual because I don't know the case. And there is a man before the courts and he's entitled to due process. I want to stress that. But wherever you work, obviously, clearly, and if you work in, in a place where there are lots of other people, and if you're carrying guns or drugs or any criminal activity, clearly you're placing everybody else at risk. And obviously, I suppose reasonable precautions should be taken if you have if you have lockers uh, and you know if, if you 're concerned that there may be criminal activity ongoing in, in, in the place of work and i presume I, I, I presume obviously you 're entitled to lock up your your watch or your, mm. your personal, you know, what are your personal goods if you're going to work. Yeah. So I think it's to get the balance right. But I think, again, the key point is that it's the guards It's the guards who make the, who make the mm. you know, the, the they, but, they but, apprehend but, people. I'm sure they, yeah, they have absolutely. to work.
4: And it's not they their work. fault and they're doing a great job. No, and no, they are, and it's no reflection I know you know on, that. Oh, absolutely, it's no reflection on them. But what about what about I'm the no, members said, of the fire service who go to work saying, no, look, we're, 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 we're trying to save lives here. No, I know you are, Michael.
11: No, I don't think there's any disagreement with what you were saying. But
4: but when the firemen, when the firemen yes, uh, the, d- hear this story and ask themselves, was my life in danger? Uh, that would seem a very legitimate question.
11: Work, yeah. mm. Of course, if anybody has guns in you, whether it be a school, a shop, a hotel, a hospital, you know anywhere, if there are guns or bullets or drugs or whatever, mm. they place everybody at risk because it can be found accidentally. There could be a child in there or a young person mm. thinks that it's, it's a toy, and mm. obviously you, you never know what can happen. But the common sense would dictate, obviously, clearly, that mm. any place of work would 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 have uh, you know you know who you work with. Yep. Okay, you never know if some of them is involved in criminal activity, but clearly and obviously, you're placing everybody at risk if you have guns and, and ammunition and stuff like that in your place of work. Okay,
4: uh, just to conclude, uh, Fergus o- o- O'Dowd uh, said uh, that uh, the Garda uh, should have confirmed that a raid took place. On the fire station in Drogheda. are, are you concerned, uh, Melda Munster, that uh, the authorities didn't want this to get out? I can't
7: understand it because um, when I spoke to somebody, just as I said just before I come on, uh, there didn't seem to be an issue at all. I asked the, the question just straight out, like you know, and I got a straight response. So I, I, I don't understand. It is strange, but I don't know why. I mean, I, they didn't obviously give you a reason or anything, you know. So it, it is bit comical all right but uh, as i said well the, re- the, the, the the
4: the the reason the gardee uh, gave us uh, was that they don't uh, comment on go ongoing investigations and uh, the council said that they don't comment on guard matters
7: yeah i know yeah i know that but i suppose the other side of it is as you were outlining there it is a, a place of work you know um for for other other people there and mm. there was a you know, there's always the fear as well, I suppose. People, in the, particularly in the fire service or the Coast Guard station, um, are wondering, you know, if, what if the premises had come under attack from rival gangs if they discovered that there were things being hidden there by yeah. the other gang? You know, that's, that's um, something who, I'm sure who, that was true. Who who,
4: who who would the fire service call if they Petra bombed the fire station? <laughs> that's, yeah, that's oh, thing, right. you know. Okay. But yeah.
7: Maybe they could look at... I mean, it's hopefully it is a once-off, you know, and that they... Man that's before the courts. Um, obviously, thought that it was the last place that would be. Well, that 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 or, or, that
4: needs know. to be determined. Obviously, but
7: perhaps they could look at maybe carrying out inspections in internally. You know, in places of work that they've. You know, where there's lockers or that. If they suspect anything at all, you know, yep. just on a secure as a, an added security measure, maybe for the
12: time. Well,
4: this is the subject uh, of an investigation. Uh, no, no, nobody has been prosecuted in relation to it uh, and uh, nobody has been found guilty of anything at this stage. And that has to be stressed in the very strongest of terms. OK. All right. We leave it there. Thank you both indeed uh, for joining us here on uh, the programme uh, this morning. Imelda Munster, Sinn Féin TD and uh, Fergus O'Dowd, who's also a TD in Louth for Finnegale.
1: Michael, Michael Reed,
4: Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. Now, who is Sigmantus gridzuska It's a, a name that is uh, familiar to some people listening to us for all of uh, the wrong reasons. We know that Mr Grudzuska is a thief, a liar and a crook. He's uh, somebody who spent a long time in prison and who had been out on bail uh, when he killed a 23-year-old in Carrick McCross. He's a heroin user and he's somebody who was responsible for the death of Shane O'Farrell and then left the scene and drove away in 2011. Shane O'Farrell was just 23 years of age at the time and as to why Mr. Grzywska was at liberty has been the subject of many questions over a long period of time. Shane O'Farrell's family have been asking for answers to questions to to do with why Grudzuska was free, uh, how the police dealt with with the death of Shane O'Farrell and how the justice system dealt with it. It is to be the subject of a state inquiry, as you know, and a a scoping uh, operation has been underway to set the terms uh, for that state inquiry. As we heard last week on uh, the programme, the family are are very concerned about where this is going, and Lucia O'Farrell told us uh, that the Department of Justice has narrowed the uh, terms of reference Uh, to become meaningless, effectively, in terms of getting justice for her son. Uh, Yesterday, The DAL voted in favour of a Fianna fall motion, which we spoke about earlier on in the week, which uh, would have restored uh, the original terms of reference uh, which were uh, recommended by Judge Hockton. uh, And that received the support of the House Bar government. Let's talk about this uh, with Martin Kenny, who's Sinn Féin's spokesperson on justice. And a very good morning to you, and uh, thanks for joining us here on the programme. As always... um, we know a lot about this fella. Uh, we know that he killed Shane O'Farrell. We know uh, that he shouldn't have been free to do so. Uh, do we know if he was a, a Garda informer?
13: Well, we don't know that. Uh, we know that he had 42 previous convictions. We know that he was on bail. We know that he had been arrested and was in custody in uh, another jurisdiction in the north, uh, just previous to, to the incident where, unfortunately, Shane O'Farrell was tragically killed. Uh, we know that after his his time... Uh, after his arrest and after his his prosecution that he he certainly in 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 any fair minded person's analysis of it he got away very likely with only been um uh, deported from the country and there's an awful lot of questions around all of this to be answered yeah. uh as you say the the judge harton's recommendations uh, for the, the terms of reference for the inquiry would I expect to get too many of the answers that we need to get to. However, the government has since then and the Department of Justice have narrowed those terms of reference to make it very difficult to actually get the real questions answered. And we were glad to be supportive of uh, Jim O'Callaghan's motion in the law this week, and we're glad as it went through. Uh, Sinn Féin also put down a small amendment to it in, to insert a little a line into the terms of reference, which would include... Looking at the possibilities and, and any connections that either formally or informally the, the handlers of informants had with the, the the person who has been convicted of this murder, and you know we, we need to we need to I think examine that, and that's mm. up to the inquiry to examine. It's not I or anyone else's place for to say you know what um, what that situation is. But certainly. You know, and, and but but
4: but of us but what's the basis for tabling that amendment? Why do you want well, that relationship well, well, two, examined? Uh, or, or,
13: or or two, two, two like, like grounds that I put it on. Uh, first of all, there's the situation that we have in many similar cases around the country, and you know the Craven Mackin case is one which is in your own part of the world as well, and indeed there are others in different parts of the country where we see situations where there is uh, pretty clear evidence uh, that there was situations here of the inappropriate use of guard informants and where uh, that led to tragic circumstances. So there's form in respect of that. And secondly, as uh, just a spokesperson, and I'm sure it happens to many other TDs as well at Leicester House, we do receive from time to time uh, pieces of information, some of which is totally unsubstantiated, but yet uh, it may feed into our analysis as to where a direction of a particular inquiry needs to go. And certainly on that grounds, I felt it was appropriate. But to insert that line in there for the highlight Whoever, whatever team is carrying out that investigation, that this is something that they need to seriously look at while they need to look at everything else as well.
4: Mm. And can you be more specific? Uh, Do you you want to know if Mr. Grzewska was giving Gardee information on the drugs trade?
13: No, I can't be more specific. Um, That is something for an inquiry to deal with. And that's why there needs to be an inquiry because, you know, uh, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm saying that. This is certainly worthy of having a bright light shone upon it and having a look at what what is the situation. If it's found not to be the case, that's well and good, but it's certainly very much looking at very much worthy Mm. of being examined. And also worthy of being examined is the whole issue as as to perhaps it's just a case of of incompetence in some places that brought us to this situation. But it would appear to anyone who would have any intelligent analysis of it that uh, it would be... A huge amount of incompetence on top of incompetence on top of incompetence to bring us to the situation where we are and where we find ourselves with Shane O'Farrell. And I think his mother, Lucia, has done a tremendous job Mm. of of, of great dignity and energy and has really driven this. And, you know, I hope for her and for her family's sake, but also for the country's sake, for the Irish Mm. nation, for justice in Ireland that this situation is dealt with appropriately and that a proper and full public inquiry is brought to bear on it and that all aspects of it are examined. And that's why Mm -hmm. this motion was important. Of course, it's not binding. The government can go off and and do their own thing. And
4: and they will. And and therein lies a a terrible injustice as far as the family is concerned. (laughs) Uh, And Lucia told us that one question that she would very much like answered, uh, which would not be dealt with by this inquiry or any inquiry in this country, is where... Rudzuska is now, uh, and if he is free to do the same thing again, should he have been deported to Lithuania?
13: Well, uh, you know that that clearly was was the, was the decision at the time. Uh, I, I felt that you know the, the most appropriate thing and the thing that one would expect is he would be given a se- prison sentence here first, and perhaps deported after that. Uh, but I mean, it it does it does smack of of an injustice to the family that uh, there was not. Uh, any any level of 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 uh, punishment meted out to the perpetrator of this terrible crime at the time, and you know where he is now, what he's doing now, all of that. I expect it would be difficult to find out, hmm. but not impossible. But I think uh, perhaps the inquiry team can, can look into that, or perhaps it may be a recommendation I know. of the report that they would make. Yeah,
4: and, 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 and maybe not. I, I mean, I'm not sure how difficult it would be, but it, it would seem relatively difficult uh, if, let's say, he'd left Lithuania and was in Poland or somewhere. But, I, I mean, it's an awful question for the family to be asking themselves, thinking that their beloved Shane was killed by this man, and God knows what part of the world he's in now uh, uh, and if he's done the same thing again to another family.
13: Well, that's the problem, you know, and as has been said, he has 42 previous convictions, some of them for serious drug offences and and, and violent crime, And you know, and uh, a person with a history like that, you know, really one of the the major parts, and I've been dealing with this at some depth, one of the major Mm. parts of our prison service is to try and reform people, is to try and change their behaviours, try and bring them out better than they went in and uh, certainly allowing them to continue... Uh, without any uh, intervention is not an appropriate way forward, and it was not appropriate in this situation. And it would be equally tragic for any family, whether it be in Lithuania or Poland or anywhere else, if they were cut through mm-hmm. the similar kind of, of situation that the O'Farrell family has done. Okay,
4: to. listen. just
13: What has compounded this worse than anything? The death of Shane has been a horrible tragedy. But the way it has been handled by the state has made it worse for that family. And that is something, I think, that a big lesson needs to be learned from
4: Okay, and that's uh, and, Public inquiry is important. And that's the point that I want to finish on, because you said you weren't going to be more specific about the information uh, that uh, you've uh, been given, whether it's correct or not, about whether Mr Grudzuska was an informer or not. And that's fair enough, and I'm not going to ask you or press you on that, uh, but uh, you also, suggested that the government will ignore this doll motion and that the terms of reference uh, will not uh, be uh, adjusted uh, to the family's liking.
13: I so, said they could.
4: <laughs> uh, oh, they oh, could, oh, I but hope they won't. Uh, they uh, could
13: do that if they wish to, but hopefully they would take note. Of the will of okay. the, the elected representatives of the people.
4: So, if things go as you expect them to, uh, then what will you do with this information about uh, him being an informer, whether it's right well, or not?
13: I didn't tell you I had information about him being an informer. I told you that uh, there were. Well, were forgive me for reading the lines.
4: That. So, I, yeah. I, I took it to mean that somebody has told you that he was.
13: No, I have, I have. I have. I have received information from time to time mm. that has made suggestions, but as I say, they're not. They may not stand up or stand up, but certainly if an inquiry comes into place,
4: uh, I think the. Inquiry okay, but will that point that's in your amendment? But will that point with, that's in your amendment die with the motion if the motion dies?
13: Well, that's up to the that's up to the um, uh, to the inquiry team and the terms of reference in the inquiry team. We suggest the terms of reference, and the law has voted on it, and they're mainly based on Judge Houghton's, uh, terms of reference and that little amendment that I put into it. If that is what the government and the, the department run with, then we're in a very strong situation to get to the truth. The government's argument is that they're too broad, that they will take too long, cost too much, take us mm-hmm. down avenues that may not be appropriate. That's that's their argument, that they need to tighten them up. The problem with tightening them up is that you end up in a situation where you don't actually get to the truth. And that's the problem that, okay. uh, that uh, Minister Flanagan and the department is in. And I think that in this situation particularly, when it has more... Um, relevance than just this particular family situation is relevance for the justice system in the entire state. They need to broaden the terms of reference back to Judge Hawkins' uh, recommendations with the amendment that I've placed into it and Deliver on that, and if they deliver on that, they will deliver it on something very good for the entire
4: country. Okay, we we'll leave it there, and thank you very much indeed uh, for very joining well. us on the program this morning. Martin Kenny is Sinn Fein's spokesperson on justice and equality.
1: Michael, Michael Reid on, on LMFM. FM.
4: Now, as we mentioned earlier on in uh, the program, Independent TD in Kerry, Danny Healy Ray did uh, raise some eyebrows uh, when he spoke in the Dáil yesterday. <laughs>
6: I want to remind you and make you aware of the harm your government, Minister Ross, supported by Fianna Fáil and Sinn Féin and many others in this Dáil, have done to the social fabric of, of rural Ireland and especially rural Kerry. Down most of the county of Kerry, and smithereens made of the social fabric that people enjoyed
4: t- traditionally. And the social fabric has uh, been made smithereens of, he said, because pubs are closing. Already pubs have closed down in every town
6: and village. Ratmoor, Kilgierven, Corra, Fanfour, Corn Scotland, but uh, Tom Fleming's famous car, the Green, which was uh, the, the nucleus of sleep Lucre and Irish music, Kilmuir, Sneem, Castle Island, Brashna Knock, the Gossel, Caher Daniel, Water, Castleveen, Killarid, Green, Green Care, where even someone like Schumacher couldn't do more than 30 kilometres per hour. So what he you doing? He have stopped many from going out to socialise. He don't want people to have a car. One deputy suggests that thought they should get into one car? Or what kind of a Batmobile is he proposing? Will there be baby seats in it?
4: All right, well, he mentioned every corner of Kerry, but how do you get to every corner of Kerry if you don't have a, a Batmobile with baby seats? The solution may be drink driving. What are we
6: going to do about the people that are trapped and isolated in rural Ireland? I'm asking you to provide a permit for the people who are only travelling on local rural roads, that's three roads, so that they can have their two points and drive home on these roads. If they stray beyond these roads, they name them. But give them a chance to live and give them a chance Thank because it, it, all work and no play makes Jack a very dull boy. Thanks very yeah, much. Yeah, yeah.
4: Two, two pints. Well, well, two well, pints. Two or three pints.
6: I, I have to say to you, ...that the people having the two or three drinks in rural Ireland did not cause the fatalities. And indeed the statistics prove that this year accidents in spite of your new, new law... ...accidents are, and, and fatalities have actually increased. And, and it not the people in rural Ireland have been causing that? I'm asking you again here now, Minister... ...to, to, to probe the idea of giving a permit to people rurally isolated... In Class 3, cul-de-sac roads, to, give, to allow them to get a permit from the Gardaí, and if they stray outside of, of of these roads, nail them then. But for these roads only, not the regional roads, not the national primary roads.
4: So to be able to drink and drive on some roads. Well, the tarnisher, Simon Coveney, responded to Danny healy Ray in the Dáil yesterday. He didn't agree with everything.
3: Deputy... <laughs> You know, I agree with you on one thing. I mean, there is is rural isolation, uh, which is something that the government uh, is responding to and will continue to. That's why we're going to spend billions of euros in terms of a national broadband scheme to make sure that everybody in Kerry, regardless of where they live, uh, will be able to access high-speed broadband and access all the services that will bring directly into their homes. Um, So rural Ireland is changing, Deputy. Uh, And the idea that we're going to somehow keep hope alive By allowing people to drink and drive on their own local roads uh, 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 as a a way of reducing isolation in rural Ireland, to my mind, is just irresponsible. Uh, And also won't work, quite frankly.
4: And that's the tarnished uh, Simon Coveney responding to Danny Healy Ray in the doll yesterday and brings our programme to its conclusion today and indeed uh, for this week. Uh, now, before we go, let me remind you there'll be a podcast available on our website, lmfm.ie, this afternoon. Thanks to Marie Kearns for producing, Maggie McGuire for researching, and Chris Murray in the Control Tower. I hope you have a lovely weekend. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme with Ken Murray on Monday morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye.
3: The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie
13: Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com
12: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well...